It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's where we delve into all of the episodes of The Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. With me today is a guy I talk about The Twilight Zone as much as anybody with uh, in our in our live chats. So it seemed like a smart idea to bring him onto the show. Hi, Brian. Hello. And good morning to you way over there across the ocean. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've both got light streaming in the windows, so... I don't know. It's, it's been my vacation week and I guess I'm getting old because like every morning this week, I just 530 in the morning. Like, It's also light. It's already light in Japan at 530 in the morning. So it's not. Yeah, that's the other reason. But, I think you're a little higher latitude than us. So you get those longer days in the summer. Is that true? Uh, actually, uh, I think, you know, I'm from my hometown's Atlanta and I think it's almost exactly the same latitude. It's that we're oh, we're to the um, it's the longitude. We're to the east side of the longitude right so oh within the time zone so you are the first one to get the sun i see yeah yeah so you know there's a few countries that are on like 30 minutes right they're not on an hour i think north korea does that for some reason which doesn't that, make this sense should be contrary i think yeah that drives me nuts <laughs> and then i and then i think i don't know if they still do it but i think arizona too well, Arizona makes sense because it's a desert. You, th- those people don't want the sun beating down on them at eight in the evening. They want it to go away. They just as soon sleep through the morning sun and, and deal with it that way. So there's some intelligence to that. I'm surprised more of the, uh, you know, the Southwest doesn't do that as well. But what can you do? Yeah, one thing I've now been living 20 years without daylight savings time. So, um, yeah, boo to daylight savings time. <laughs> I've slowly become when you're a kid, it's a great thing because you're off in the summer and then the sun is out later. And yeah, it's fantastic. When you become an adult, it's a kind of a different story. But then there's people who want to do daylight saving time 24 hours or 365 days a year, which doesn't make sense because there's no daylight in the winter to save. Right, right. <laughs> so you end up waking up and it's, you know, it's eight in the morning and it's still dark. <laughs> and I think people don't appreciate uh, what a problem that is. Uh, at least the people who were alive, who weren't alive in 1973 when Nixon did it during the the uh, OPEC oil crisis. Who oh, is that? Tried when it happened? Us, okay. Yeah, he tried to put us on daylight saving time in the winter, and everyone hated it. And I was going to school then, and I hated it. Going to school in the dark is not fun. And okay. they made the, the the argument, you know, for the children, we can't have this happen. Children will, you know. Yeah. I like real time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I live on real time, man. But this is this isn't yeah, about man. light. This isn't about light. This is about dark. This is about nothing. This is about locally, yeah, locally sustained uh organic time. Yes. <laughs> in an in a small apartment, underground basement apartment. I guess it's not really a underground apartment. You just dig a hole and put an apartment there, right? So um yeah didn't you say something i'm getting ahead of myself but you said that that apartment looked familiar to you (laughs) oh i do remember seeing it like in a different episode and it it was just like driving me a little nutty uh which one it was maybe maybe with the penny with the pen the penny one i forget the title but maybe it was that one i can't really remember uh oh penny for your thoughts yeah yeah any of that take place in in a sort of a tenement sub basement or whatever because that's what that set was well anyway i didn't i didn't do the research to figure out which one it was i just remember there's a kid in there for like the one scene and then you didn't see him in the episode this this episode has no kids it only has three actors so i guess i'll trivia it up because you know it's easy when there's only three actors or two or one one's the easiest of course but (laughs) it's more of a a two character one act play with like a third character coming along to you know push the story in the other direction right for this one the original air date was january 5th 1962 hello 1962 
George Clayton Johnson wrote the teleplay. Let's not forget he's also responsible for Logan's run and Star Trek's first aired episode, The Man Trap. Gladys Cooper played Wanda Dunn. She was a powerhouse of the English stage around the turn of the century and later turned to film. There she was Bette Davis's overbearing mother in Now Voyager and remommed for Rex Harrison and My Fair Lady. Harold Benton was played by Robert Redford. This is pretty early in his career, and I doubt I really need to explain his career for anyone. So instead, I'll just mention that Baby Matt's parents took him along to the drive-in for 1979's The Electric Horseman, and my folks still occasionally give me flack for what happened there. There was apparently an incident. (laughs) There was an incident at the drive-in. Yeah. The contractor was R.G. Armstrong. He was one of those Western guys showing up on Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, Wanted, Dead, or Alive, and the list goes on. He doubled down on Cowboys with uh, Sam Peckinpah as an unhinged, uh, as unhinged fundamentalists in Ride the High Country, Major Dundee, and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. This episode, along with The Grave, were actually shot for season two, but trickled down to getting aired in season three, which is kind of weird because season three is so long. It's like, well, yeah, yeah, I was going to (laughs) say this is the longest season by one episode. It's like 37 episodes, which meant otherwise it would have been 35, which also seemed like an odd number because I think 36 is what they're aiming for. But the second season was weird with its budget cuts and it's, you know, the videotape episodes they were trying to. And also it was ended up being several episodes short, I think. Yeah, well, and then, then you got the fourth episode, which is like, you know, half, a double and half at the same time. So it's kind of fun. <laughs> it was uh, like 29 episodes, I think. But why did they hel- hold it over when they were short last season? Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, I guess I guess television just airs differently at that, you know, juncture in time. Like I was mm. reading, like, it went to an hour because, well, we got a s- slot this year for an hour. Can you go to an hour? I guess so, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but they still ordered 36, uh, the equivalent of 36 half hours. They ordered 18 one hours. So there's the same number of production yeah, hours, yeah. I guess. Television math. Always for fun. <laughs> I have given you the prologue. I assume you can see this on your screen. Yes, I can. Okay. You can read it any which way you want. Well, I will guess I'll try to do it in the classic style. Let's see. Let's find this. <clears throat> An old woman living in a nightmare. An old woman who has fought a thousand battles with death and always won. Now she's faced with a grim decision. Whether or not to open a door. And in some strange and frightening way, she knows that this seemingly ordinary door leads to the Twilight Zone. All right. Thank you. You didn't get some of the tomes we've been getting recently. (laughs) Two people got like two or three minute long, you know, things to read. So. Well, the worst, I think, was It's a Good Life, where he has to spend five minutes setting up the story. Is exactly. Kind of <laughs> um, I don't know if my so, lip was sufficiently uh, stiff for that episode, for that reading. Like, it, it seems dry. Dry is uh, what you want, is, is from what I understand. I don't know. I'm not a pro at this because I don't read the prologues <laughs> for the show. So <laughs> I doubt I doubt I have a good impression to do. Well, um, friends of mine from uh, from long ago used to say that Rod Serling just had no upper lip rather than having a dry upper lip or whatever. Well, the teeth are dry, right? So. The teeth are dry and it's supposed to give him that sort of, duh, yeah. That, so that, that's. I have some trouble, uh, I guess, connecting with, with the old woman here because I I have trouble staying in the house. Like when I get up in the morning, I'll eat breakfast and I'll be like, okay, I'm taking a walk for an hour. And then maybe I'll like work on a few podcasts or something, have lunch. Okay, I'm going for another walk. Now I'm going to walk up the hill to the hot spring. So I don't know. I guess I like being outside more than inside. So, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has her reasons as we slowly learn throughout the entire uh, episode that she's hiding. She's just been fearful of crossing paths with Mr. Death. Yeah, and I, I kind of wondered like how her timeline worked out because she said she used to love to be outside, right? So mm-hmm. where you know when and where did the change happen? Is that was that the bus incident? Was that like a long decline or something? We're just seeing the the bitter end of it, or or what? The bus incident seems to be the uh, the catalyst that started her, but then she you know said she kept seeing him 
in different guises uh, all through her life until she finally landed in that apartment. But seeing him everywhere, and I thought, well, then why aren't you seeing him today? Well, she is. <laughs> now <laughs> well no she recognized him throughout her life is like oh that guy over there is death but then i guess when uh, she didn't uh immediately you know expire the moment she stepped outside to talk to the uh to harold was his name um the policeman realized oh well i guess i was wrong <laughs> yeah i i don't always we... saw... go ahead it... oh, i'm just saying i don't always look ahead like a, at the one i'm gonna watch like obviously sometimes if it's like um you know i know when a shatner episode's coming or something like that but you know sometimes like with the mirror i think i was watching it halfway through like oh crap that's peter falk you know in a fake a beard you know <laughs> <laughs> it took me are you talking about recognizing robert redford for who he was it took yeah when we first see him outside in the snow i thought he really looked like tim heidecker from tim and eric <laughs> <laughs> And it, I was like, I spent like a minute just like not like having this weird disconnect feeling like it because, you know, he's, it's also a weird situation like on that show where he's like in the snow and, sit, you know, kind of saying weird stuff. So <laughs> I was well, juxtaposing I a Tim and Eric moment here. <laughs> I guess um, Sterling worked with him once on Playhouse 90 and that's how he was kind of got in. But there was some back and forth on whether or not he was well cast or not. Some people think he wasn't. Some people think he was. So. In Playhouse oh, 90? Or no, here? in this episode of The Twilight Zone. Oh, I think this works because, uh, you know, death is a nice young man to take you to the beyond. And it works for me. Um, I did have a few moments where I was, I, you know, when I was still trying to work out what the Twilight Zone angle was. I mean, you know, she's already dead was, I, I was kind of going with the sixth sense thought and one thing, right? Yeah, I did, yeah, I thought of that too, yeah. I was kind of wondering for a while if, if she was going to snap and go Kathy Bates misery style on him. So <laughs> that, that would be pretty dark, but <laughs> Hey, twilight zone can get dark. So, <laughs> well, if you think about it too much, all sorts of, you know, thoughts occur to you about how this story unfolds. It's like, I mean, if the, and jumping a bit to the end, he's kind of like, she was asking, why are you doing this? Why did you, why did you fool me? And it's like, he wanted to just ease her into it. He's trying to be as benevolent as possible and let her know that it was all okay. And not just, you know, snatch her soul or whatever she thought was going to happen the minute that, that they, uh, they met. So, um, like yeah. So or something. Why, you kind of wonder why, why the ruse, why they go through the whole thing when it, and then there was the sixth sense possibility. Like you said, I mean, it would have been interesting if after they stepped outside, <laughs> At the end, her body was out there the whole time, and it was just her ghost inside talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> you have to eliminate the entire bit with the contractor because that wouldn't have worked. But yeah, that that happened. Um, I think I've even mentioned some podcasts before. But uh, when my daughter is maybe two or three, there's like a Hello Kitty cartoon, and it's you know based on a European folktale or something. I don't know where the um, the girl gets like obsessed with look staring at the candle and like ends up freezing in the snow so <laughs> and i'm saying oh. they're like is, the, is this just be, like being snarky and jokey this is gonna end with her freezing in the snow isn't it and and then it did with hello kitty <laughs> freezing to death in the snow like what are we watching <laughs> so uh this could have been along those lines i guess yeah oh wow wow <laughs> I guess um, you know they did not disnify the uh, end of the tale, but I guess when you're telling that kind of story, you can't really change the ending because that's the whole point of the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes those you know fairy tales or children's tales don't have happy endings, and that's kind of you know the object lesson is this is what you're going to come across in life, kids. So <laughs> there's going to be some dark things. Seal. Okay, sorry, you don't know why I'm saying seal. I always confuse the seventh sign and the seventh seal. So seventh seal oh. is <laughs> well, they're pretty close titles, but they're very different movies. But yeah, um, I, that kind of came to my mind with this episode, just a little, just a little bit. And then kind of, I noticed a few of the comments when I was uh, having a quick look at the internet movie database comments. I was like. A few people saw that too because that was a pretty recent movie at this point that was you know for a foreign movie a pretty big movie in the states i guess so have you seen that one mm. that's the that's the no playing, i haven't i haven't that's the playing chess with death movie 
of course death oh. is way creepier than that you know uh, um, bill and ted get back to, to him as well right so isn't that like ingmar bergman film or something from yeah that's right that's right yeah yeah okay yeah yeah it's it's one of those touchstones is like you know of it but <laughs> seldom do it is everybody ever seen that exactly where it came from you just know Not, a certain I, aspect of it yeah i watched Chef's a few game. when i was in my film dork phase I, I did watch a few bergman's that being the only one that was actually kind of enjoyable to watch even though it's morbid i guess but <laughs> um i remember <laughs> i remember wild strawberries it was supposed to be a you know a masterpiece and i just wasn't really into it because it didn't interest me so you know there's a certain point where i was like i think i'll just start watching things i like instead of you know things i'm like supposed to watch right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that also has you know like death is something you confront i guess slowly and methodically kind of like in this episode there's you know lots of conversations involved it's not like you said it's not just a dementor style soul snatching or something yeah and the the whole question of how death personified works is kind of an interesting topic as you dive into i mean um i don't know how long this particular well we've seen it like a couple of times already in in the twilight zone right there's been a couple of versions of death um one for the angels um he's coming for you you know he's got he's there for a purpose blah 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 but then you start to wonder it's the santa claus problem really it's like how can he be everywhere all at once <laughs> taking care of all the dying peoples who are about to you know you know meet the afterlife it's like the santa how, claus conundrum yeah it's like santa claus has to be everywhere at midnight to deliver the presents right that's how it was supposed to work <laughs> well my note is how how do we know it's death it could be mr pip you know I guess he's more of a <laughs> Satan, right? So, well, is he like um, omnipresent? He's just everywhere he needs to be all at once, or is he like he got you know like a franchise? He's got multiple deaths out there doing all these things. That's what I was kind of wondering about. Maybe you but, conjure uh, your own death. That's her personal death because she always recognizes death, but uh, he always has a different face, right? So that could be other people's deaths. Oh, <laughs> well, then we enter into the whole, um, you know. Uh, did she go in the Twilight Zone or was she just crazy? <laughs> oh, oh <laughs> Which see, I think can apply to a lot of people in the Twilight Zone. It's like, did they just have an episode, a mental episode, and none of this actually occurred? I thought you were about to throw at me the, uh, like, hey, man, it's like the green I see, like the green you see, man. I thought, I thought that's where we were getting. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but wait, I was my... thinking about various personifications of death and probably the most famous one in fantasy today is the one started 30 years ago by neil gaiman and the sandman you know his sister uh death who's a goth girl goes around doing pretty much the same thing seeing people off and stuff and i wonder how much of that you know can harken back to either this episode of the twilight zone or even earlier precursors of a, of a death personified but before we uh really break this one down with with questions i think both of us because I, I got a glance at your notes and um both of us were having trying to work out how this apartment works um or this tenement which i guess it's a tenement apartment you can use both because it seems the windows are have been broken out and uh yeah it's the middle of winter and yeah <laughs> well that plays into your sixth sense idea like maybe she was she was already frozen to death long before this episode even began because her windows are wide open in the winter and it's snowing outside. How is she even surviving? But then she said the gas man came around. So maybe he had questions about her excessive gas usage and eating her apartment or something. Yeah, I got, I got my little uh, kerosene heater right next to me, which I don't quite need today. So I guess that's nice. But you have um, a kerosene heater? I yeah, don't yeah. allow that in america <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> like internal combustion device inside your house yeah exactly i have to sometimes go outside and pour in some gas and bring the fuel cell back up here and yeah um oh <laughs> and that's you... got to be producing co2 so yeah i assume you have a co2 monitor nearby to make sure your co2 levels are okay or your carbon monoxide levels are okay <laughs> oh yeah that's a good thought i mean it's not it's not gasoline right it's kerosene so um <laughs> But yeah, Let's Japanese see. buildings rarely have like central air, especially like houses and apartments. They don't usually have central air. So we, I have like a wall unit 
heater slash air conditioner also in here. Wow. Which I didn't have for yeah, most of the things in Japan there's these units, you know, like on the top, uh, near the top of the wall that um do hot and cold. That's the electric. Well, that's not to say that's unheard of in America, but I think in modern America there are codes and things where some of those things aren't allowed anymore. Like you can't build a wood burning fireplace into a home, at least in California anymore. Like they outlawed it just because of the pollution. Well, that's where I was wondering about her apartment a little more because, um, you know, I know I'm from Atlanta, which it's, it you know, quite hot in the summer and not that cold in winter, but everyone just cocoons themselves. They live in a, you know, bubble of cold air during the summer and, uh, and, and a bubble of warm air in the winter in their house. Right. But whereas in Japan, it's like, no, you have to experience the seasons. So when it's summer, you know it. And when it's winter, you know it. Like, <laughs> it's still, it's pretty cold in the house in winter. Not like her apartment cold, but pr- pretty it, cold. An enforced engagement with nature, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they Japanese like to say we love nature. Maybe that's why. So, <laughs> so yeah, back, back to the window. It's like the question was, why isn't there a blanket or or cardboard or something covering the window to keep the cold out and the answer was well the audience need to see what was going on outside that window <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, it could have been a little glass but i i don't know so <laughs> but we didn't really see much we saw you know the police officer or, or mr death creeping around out there and then we had this whole little play where you hear gunfire and he falls down and i think you hear sirens and you're thinking this has got to be all for for real right but then it finds out later it's not and it's like well did he have accomplices <laughs> firing a gun just to make it sound like it or did he just manifest those sound effects out of nothing i don't know maybe there was a completely different tableau out there and there is a dead police officer out there so yeah yeah i thought of that too maybe he is well, the reanimated corpse of the uh the real <laughs> dead police officer and then Later on, it's like, uh, excuse me, I got to slip out of this body now. <laughs> oh, we that, don't see that part of it. <laughs> that's getting, yeah, a little bit. But again, I, I guess her sense, she, it takes her a while to sense this guy, which is weird because she says in other cases she could do it quite quickly. So uh, well, maybe, maybe that was the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I guess because it's for her. I, I would just think of, you know, people's vibes. And uh, recently, the, the lady I, I try to avoid at the 7 Eleven. Uh, <laughs> you know just just the vibe it's like weird it's like like there's it's not like the service is better it just talks in a voice that just i don't know it makes me uncomfortable so i when i when i'm in the line i'm always hoping gee i I hope it's the other clerk i hope it's the other clerk so (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i don't know what i don't know what it is so (laughs) but yeah there are some people where you do just pick up a certain like you know vibe from them so um and may in this case, I guess it's like a death vibe. Uh <laughs> well, that was my, my question. She could sense it all through her life except today. <laughs> when right, it was right. actually happening to her. But it's I guess kinda... that's because that's for her. I, you don't recognize your own death, I guess. I don't know. I don't know exactly what exactly. Oh, maybe. Oh yeah. I How am you... for Captain Girk. Oh, sorry, I'm a flash. Oh, that's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um do you think how do you think the contractor dealt with this uh, situation trying to get her out of there because he wasn't like overly aggressive but he's a little aggressive did he was that a good balance i don't know uh, yeah he seemed like he was under the gun he said he had an hour he he, he literally had an hour they were going to knock the building down and was trying to do everything he could to convince her um what i found weird was the kind of bonk bonk on the head speech soliloquy he gave about the need for change and death is a natural part of life it's like this sounds like something that Mr. Death himself would be saying, but it's not. It put like that whole that um, metaphor into his talk with her to, I don't know. It's almost like he was set up to say that just to kind of help her along. Like, did Death know he was going to say that? Synchronicities, man. Well, I, I definitely thought the episode was playing a few minutes where maybe, like, I thought maybe the contractor was the Death to, you know, claim well, yeah. police officer, right? So could have been that that's uh that's the reason they probably said all that to to help convince her that this is this is the real deal here but 
in the end it wasn't so you're kind of left wondering well why did he say all these things <laughs> and it's sort of like i said bunk bunk on the head you know well everything dies lady you know sort of this sort of stale so it's like <laughs> it's like the philosophical mechanic right <laughs> yeah he's working on your transmission and telling you about you know the meaning of life yeah yeah <laughs> but um i was going to mention something i don't know if you picked up on or from the very beginning and I haven't seen anybody mention it anywhere. It's the fact that when she work, first wakes up, she's looking through the back of the chair like like you're looking through the bars of a prison. She's kind of holding on to it, looking to see what's going outside. And then when the contractor is talking to her later, she does the same with the uh, the bars on the back of her bed. She's facing the camera and literally holding on to the bars like prison bars. And it's like, well, another metaphor. She's kind of made a prison, prison for herself. Well, that's that what she's room. complaining about, right? Because yeah, like, I used to go outside, and now I'm stuck in here. But I want to keep living anyway. So, and yeah, another sort of prison metaphor you see all the time is like the prisoner in the cell, and this one shaft of light comes in, and that's where he's sitting to to appreciate, you know, what little sunlight he has in his dark world. But then she says that scene where she reaches towards this patch of light on the uh, on the floor when she's talking about her youth, and I thought, oh, that's nice. But then also it implies. Is there like a big hole in the ceiling over her head? Where's that light coming from? I assume it's coming from the window, but who who can say? If she's on the bottom floor, she couldn't be having a ceiling with. Well, she said the building's ab abandoned. Maybe there's light coming through all over the place, but it was kind of a conveniently placed patch of light there for her to reminisce about. Sunlight. I mean, there might not be much of a building above her anymore. You know. Exactly. Yeah, we don't know how much how dilapidated it is. Never get a full look of it. I just um. This thing, you might have seen a picture because I did post in the Discord where I, I'd walk from this inn we were staying at and alongside of a mountain was just like this weird half or more than half broken apart like concrete behemoth. And I stared at it for like five minutes. I'm like, I cannot figure out what this used to be. I was like, maybe the high, maybe a road used to come through here. I was like, no, that's not it. It has all these paintings and that looks like it used to be a room and... uh Anyway, I asked when I got back, I asked my father-in-law about it. And he was like, oh, I think that used to be a hotel. And halfway through demolition, they ran out of money. And it's just been sitting there for 30 years. That <laughs> <laughs> was strange. I'll have to go find that picture now. It's an, it, Weirdly, it's an Epicurean thread. So because I put it in with the food photos. But um, yeah, I was just like literally for five minutes, like, what? Why, what, what am I looking at? <laughs> it's really big and I have no clue what I'm looking at. So uh, I haven't. That, that was kind of a little bit of a Twilight Zone experience because I just couldn't logically be like, it, it was broken up to the point where you really could not clearly tell it used to be a hotel and it was all concrete too. So it was just like, yeah, massively confusing. So I like to think that's where she's living at this point. Um, so not like primitive ape man confronting the monolith in 2001, but close. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what is this ancient structure? What could it mean? And it was massive. It was really, really big. I was, I was like, yeah just couldn't work it out and then i was looking at maps and i was like okay ruins maybe i can figure out what it is but on top of the mountain is actual castle ruins so obviously that's what gets all the the press right because that's a, like a you know, oh. castle right <laughs> so you couldn't you couldn't google the answer to your question yeah i couldn't because it would just Aww. give me it would just tell me about the the historical castle which probably is more interesting in the end well i don't know i was pretty interested in the bizarre dilapidated concrete structure so you know um, like military complexes have the weirdest ruins and they're mostly concrete like you said it's like a radar installation or something from 50 years ago that's always strange to come upon when you're exploring <laughs> yeah that's the stuff that was going through my mind looking at this thing and i just i could not work it out for my life so um i and yeah so anyway uh that that was a tangent did you have any other big observations you wanted to toss on to this episode um let's see uh no i mean i mentioned some of the directorial things i listened did you listen to the uh the commentary track to this episode with um the director and i believe george clayton johnson actually i did not uh what, what did you get out of that oh uh well a lot of it uh found its way into the twilight zone companion i think because it probably came from <laughs> the interviews that he did for oh, okay. the book. Well, i, I don't know there so <laughs> okay yeah so there. you probably saw it there um no just comments about um was 
you know, Redford really well cast for it. I think in the end, people kind of lean towards the fact that he was, even though he was a little green behind the ears as a, an actor, I think he'd only done a couple of things prior to this. It was kind of awesome, though, is that you had such a heavy hitter with um, Gladys Cooper, of all people, who, uh, spoiler alert, is going to be on The Twilight Zone again and was on television all through the 60s and the 50s, too, before she finally passed away. When and, I was uh, doing my when I was doing my trivia though, she wasn't lying. She did used to be quite a looker. <laughs> <laughs> she did, yeah. And then I liked your your remomming joke, and she was in uh, My Fair Lady as Mrs. Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> Funny thing is that apparently she was in a TV version of Big Million, which is My Fair Lady, about about the same time. So she went from like doing Twilight Zone episodes and, oh, I'm going to do this TV movie, Pygmalion. Oh, somebody must have saw her in that, so they cast her with Rex Harrison and My Fair Lady. It's like <laughs> she couldn't get away from that role. She kept playing it for a couple of years there in a row. Hey, nice to have a few good acts to your career, right? <laughs> um, I was just going to read my last two notes. Uh, you'll go along with this Robert Redford, but I bet you would not go along with Winter Soldier Robert Redford. <laughs> 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 he's like come on no. me might be might not be into That's that bad robert Redford. everybody thinks some kind of more of the uh how how many years between this and uh butch cassidy i About guess that 10. was kind of his breakout role was it 10 i thought butch cassidy was late 60s uh double check because I, I i think the wild bunch is 69 i feel like butch cassidy was after that or maybe i'm thinking of pat garrett and B billy a kid yeah my brain's rupturing on that too so butch cassidy was 69 so oh, okay. it was less than a decade before. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, seeing him this young is weird. But yeah, I do think having such a fresh face death is is uh, a pretty good idea. You know, after last season's uh, Art Carney Christmas episode, I was like, oh, this is kind of like a really bleak Christmas special, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted this to have just a, just a hint of Christmas to make it a Christmas episode. That would be a perfect Twilight Zone Christmas episode, I think, you know. Going gently away with death may have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> That's some Twilight Zone. Well, going back to the question of, you know, are you fated to die at a certain time or can you, well, can you avoid death? I mean, this is one of those she's, you know, trying to cheat death situations. But if there's some sort of grand scheme, was that the reason he was able to take, you know, an hour out of his busy schedule to help her along or or what? I've heard uh, this is this is you know mystics and stuff, but uh, the idea that you have like there's five times in your life where you, when you have an out and you subconsciously make the decision if if it's time to go out or not, you know. Oh, interesting. What was that from? I'm not quite sure. Uh, it might might have been a previous podcast guest or something. To be honest, but uh, yeah, I just I I thought that was an interesting concept. And the idea of people dying young, it's like well, they just they took the first out, you know. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of more of it. Like I said, it's mystical stuff, right? So it's uh, obviously you're, you're talking a little bit differently in those wow. terms. Yeah, I'm thinking of like people who make uh, not so much, you know, life or death situations, but, you know, good or evil <laughs> decisions about their life. Like they could have done the right thing or they could have chosen to do the wrong thing. And then they have like only like, you know, three strikes before they uh, What's like their uh, right. consequences, right? It's like I got sick once, but now I'm okay. So maybe that's one, you know, I, 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 I was on that cliff. I could have slipped off that cliff. I guess that there's a moment, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Did you, do you have any moments like that? Oh, no, the cliff one was an actual story. <laughs> oh, you actually came close to falling off a cliff. I came close to drowning once. Long, this actually, this actually is in, <laughs> this actually is in California, uh, maybe a little North of St. Louis Obispo, I think. And, uh, my my friend's friend was like let's go on a hike and we're walking down the beach and the beach is getting smaller and smaller and eventually you know now we're just basically scaling 10 feet above <laughs> the ocean and rocks a, a cliff with no ropes i did turn around and take a picture that was an analog picture because it was 2003 so i don't i don't have the evidence at my parents house but <laughs> it's like well i could die here but i should at least get a nice picture from this you know <laughs> but uh oh yeah. wow it did seem but did you actually slip? Were you like in danger of sliding off that cliff at some point? Um, I mean, if I had you know gotten the wrong footfall, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but, I thought uh, you had actual scrape, like you you know slipped, but then caught yourself on a root just before you're going to go over the. Oh no, it's more like a just a wow! I really shouldn't slip 
down from here and sort of thing right oh, okay <laughs> the story <laughs> was i fell off a boat in a lake and i did, wasn't wearing a life preserver and there was a nearby boat had somebody there who was you know a better swimmer than i was who grabbed me and took me out of the water <laughs> that was pretty scary but the idea being like maybe if, if we go with that five times theory she's at her last time right this is the you know point of no return she's 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 cash she's got a cash in her chips now with mr chips Is mr chips the one that kills you i don't remember <laughs> um of course i got questions questions three people in this episode who who went through the twilight zone it seems like a silly question when there's only like well yeah character. the twilight zone in this case kind of came to her right if the the supernatural element was mr death then he came to her and the uh contractor was oblivious to him so i don't know if you really can say he well, was he made that in... speech he didn't make the speech and like i said it was kind of weird that it echoed everything that was going on with her almost as if you know it came to him from another place but if this is how how death comes to us all does that make it a twilight zone does that just define the twilight zone as death <laughs> do we all have that experience does robert redford come to our door at some point or in some form does he age what what what, what robert redford's coming to your door now that's why i brought my winter soldier uh you know comment <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, I guess like it's clearly her. I'm just saying, is is it so normal that we shouldn't call it the Twilight Zone? I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> well, that leans into one of your podcast's other questions is how trippy it was. Okay. I, mean, I guess we'll hold it... off a minute on it, on it then. <laughs> oh, what on the on what the, what who came to the Twilight Zone? Or oh, was I was just, I was saying, can we even define this as a twilight zone if it's something we all commonly share? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Which which also seems to negate the uh, "does she deserve it?" question. Although I'll ask it: Does she deserve her trip through the twilight zone? Yeah, it's 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 kind of an inevitable inevitability, right? Mm. If death is inevitable, then I wouldn't say she deserved it, but it it was inevitable it was neither deserved nor undeserved it's just life and death how do you uh, how do you how would you say it well i was just gonna say like okay uh she was about uh i did sorry i guess she was about 72 or something when she did this so pretty old look she looks older in the episode maybe a little makeup maybe actually being old maybe the fact that it's 1961 when they filmed it um excuse me and wow, I just lost my train of thought by saying all of that. Okay, I feel she deserve it, deserve it. Oh, I'm just saying, like, maybe she should have died 10 years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying not to call her old, because in Japan, we have like 90-year-old, you know, couples that are still out farming every day. So you can live old, right? But maybe she's oh, yeah. past her expiry date is, I guess, what I'm getting at. Like, she should well, have taken she the successfully, last out. Yeah, did she successfully... Um um delay her passing by secluding herself yeah it seems like she's basically barely been living for the past 10 years or more right so well then i guess she kind of you know punished herself like i said she's like metaphorically in prison you know the whole bar metaphor thing i mentioned so she just imprisoned herself so yeah i guess in that case that this is death as a relief right so does that make this a, a positive outcome of the Twilight Zone? <laughs> well, it's interesting because when she was made aware of the fact that she had passed away, and we don't see the logistics of this at all because we're kind of seeing it through her eyes, I guess, but she finally takes his hand and then he looks over to the bed and she's somehow her body is on the bed, right? <laughs> it's like we didn't see like her soul depart her body or anything like that. It's just kind of like maybe she had died moments after the contractor left or something. I don't know how we're supposed to interpret the, the choreography of the scene, but my, uh, my main point was, um, and I'm going to lose my own train of thought about this. Uh, my main point was after she saw, she looked down on her body, she smiled. And I thought, man, if I had any sort of out of body experience, death or alive, I'd be freaking out at that moment. It's like, ah, oh, <laughs> what's I... my body doing down there? <laughs> I, I since I've done some practice at you know vivid dreaming, lucid dreaming, that sort of thing. I have on occasion checked the astral 
iPhone or the astral clock. Like there's been a few times where I checked the clock and it's like, oh, it's only 530. I can sleep in our two hours. And I'm like, wait a minute. That wasn't the real clock. <laughs> you can't <laughs> you can't trust that clock. There was there was one where I checked. I checked my iPhone. Right. And I was looking at the news. And it said someone like not that old had like famous person had died. Right. And then about three hours into my day, I was like, wait a minute, I need to check that. And it turned out that that was not the real phone. So uh, I, I haven't looked back on oh, myself okay. in these situations. But I, no, it is like like definitely like, you know, I'm seeing my room, all that sort of thing and doing stuff. And then I realize that I'm actually still lying in bed with my eyes closed. So I can't trust the stuff I'm seeing. Or can I? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> um, the time on the astral clock is usually pretty close to the real one. So <laughs> I think yeah, I just have a good internal how, how that works with lucid dreaming. So I couldn't really speak to that, but well, I'm calling uh, that, a, I'm calling that a mundane out of body experience, I guess. Oh, okay. <laughs> the mundane version of out of body experiences. So I haven't done cool stuff. Um, well, actually recently I, I've learned more and more maybe because of the subconscious i much prefer a good vivid dream that i can remember to a lucid dream because i've had a few lucid dreams like well what am i going to do now I, I think the last time i had a serious lucid dream as in this building i was just like well, i guess i'll start looking at like mirrors and sinks because that's kind of trippy in the dream world right <laughs> i mean that's not that useful though is it i don't know like, i'd rather have my subconscious give me like a rip-roaring story for my dream you know well, I guess we're going to have to have a whole separate discussion about dreams and how how they work because I'm I I rarely remember my dreams. I'm kind of the person who, um, until fairly recently, I would just you know my dreams would kind of evaporate uh, the moment I open my eyes and I can recall much. Since occasionally, I can remember them beyond you know two minutes after waking up, but not that often. <laughs> so you write down a couple words, sometimes like just like two words that'll jumpstart your memory later. That helps sometimes. Um, well, but you, once in yeah. a great while, I'll remember them like weeks later, it all have this weird flash and I'll go, what was that? Oh, I think that was a dream I had. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I, I remember once or twice, like, you know, mixing up my dreams with reality, unfortunately, where I'd have like a, I'm supposed to have like a meeting with my boss or something. I have the dream meeting and then I forget that I haven't had the real one yet. So, <laughs> Well, that raises another possibility that maybe this was a dream. The whole <laughs> thing was a dream. She's been lying on that bed for days and she just, just had that whole like, weird dream before she. Expired. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm getting at. This could be a kind of like half like coming in like in and out of consciousness like we can't really trust what parts of this are real because the last part i mean it, it, i guess it's real but it's not it's in the metaphysical world obviously that last thing right so how much of this yeah is yeah in the physical world and how much is not is is interesting and and sometimes i spend my mornings that way is, is what i'm getting at <laughs> <laughs> well did you notice that the lights in the room dimmed as they stepped outside so it's kind of like drawing the curtain on that yeah. entire existence metaphorically or another one that i know i've mentioned on my twilight zone podcast before is a few years ago during a, a holiday being in the big countryside family house old school japanese house right mm -hmm. you know, getting up from the tommy room walking over to the um to the breakfast room starting to have breakfast and boom i wake up in the tommy room walk over to the uh, <laughs> tea room start to have breakfast boom it happened again. It happened like three times. It was like insane. Oh, he had like a Groundhog Day dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and a couple times when I have had the lucid dream, I'll you know maybe I know I need to go to work, so I'll, I'll wake myself up from it, right? And then go to have breakfast and have you know it's have, you have five minutes having trouble working out that this is reality, you know. So I can see where this episode could kind of you know play around in that gray area some that twilight zone if you will um <laughs> <laughs> well the way it's written it, it does lend itself to various interpretations so you can do that and we can apply other scenarios to it the, the sixth sense scenario you know the the dream <laughs> well, scenario i guess we'll tripometer it then uh where would you like to place this on the tripometer oh gosh this is always such a hard question because <laughs> how trippy something is is usually a measure of you know how unfamiliar you are you are with the concept and of course twilight zone's been around for 60 years and influenced so much media it's like oh death personified yeah been there 
done that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is one of the earliest examples of it. Um, there were two episodes of The Twilight Zone, I think, prior to this one that were Mr. Death came around. What was the other one? Um, Wait, you mentioned the Angels. Uh, it was like one in the second season, too. It's not like I, well, I could go I could look, look it up. up. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, if you, where do you want to number it then? Throw a number on it, I guess. Or not. You can th- throw a sound on it. That's what Luke sometimes does, right? <laughs> what does he throw on it? Just a sound like a hmm or whoa, you know? Oh, a whoa or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, something like I'm that. I'm probably not going to. You don't have to. Um, oh, the hitchhiker. Ah, the- yes, yes, yes. I shouldn't be looking at my season two. List Much now. more sinister take because <laughs> he's like stalking her. <laughs> Like you, but he's still pretty chill. He's, he's very chill, but he's creepy as heck. Just <laughs> showing up on that was more trippy, I think, than well, well, one for the angels. He's up front, you know. He just says, "I'm here to, I'm, I'm death. I'm here to get you." This then he's just like stalking Ingrid, Ingrid Stevens across the United States. And this one, he comes to the door and kind of, you know, finesses and, you know, fibs his way in as something he's not. So it's probably the less trippy of the, of the three that we've seen so far. Um, I don't know. I'll give it maybe a two. <laughs> okay. Yeah, seem, sure. It doesn't seem super trippy. I was thinking along those lines, um, like I said, I was almost like this could have been a Twilight Zone Christmas episode, a dark one, but it could have been the Christmas episode, right? Which, didn't, hey, if it aired a week and a half earlier, it would have been. So, <laughs> <laughs> but almost. that means I guess I don't think it's quite as trippy. So I was thinking it too. But now that we're talking about how much of this is in, you know, weird dream space or in the beyond already or whatever, eh, because of that, I think I'll go ahead and call it a three. Uh, that gives you enough fuel but yeah it is it is the third death episode maybe that's why it's the third death episode because i'm thinking the the hitchhiker i'm pretty sure i gave something like a 4.5 that one's definitely trippier one for the angels uh which one because of that weird dream or you know other world territory in this one i think i would actually call this one trippier and i think i give the angels a lower score if i remember so (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty straightforward. Yeah, so maybe Hitchhiker would be a little higher for me, and then One for the Angels be a little lower. Yeah, I, th- I think I gave Hitchhiker, like I said, like a four point five. I I found that one to be very trippy. So um, if someone Most goes back turbid. and finds that I gave it like a one or something, sorry, you know, I, I don't I don't remember my tripometer scores. They if if to change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if uh, trippy means disturbing, then yeah, if it if it, it makes you viscerally like oh it's creeping me out and then yeah you can say it's higher number i guess well that's the whole point of the question really like i'm right. curious what other people think is trippy because once you start asking people every week like you find out oh, what people call trippy varies quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of the point of the question uh i guess we are wrapping it up today do you have do you have any anything you want to share with folks that you got going on the internet or anything. Uh, well, as you well know, I'm just one of those hangers on over at mission log. I'm less of a celebrity and more of a, you know, a potato peeler there in the discord <laughs> <laughs> hanging out, swapping memes. So if you're a star Trek fan, you might want to go look into mission log. If you haven't done so already, once in a while, I first got involved in that. I used to call into the show when I could, but uh, the live show they have on Mondays when there's new Star Trek. So who knows? Maybe you'll see me there again someday if my schedule permits it, but currently <laughs> it does not. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll just uh, keep talking Twilight Zone over there. And and, uh, and we do that every other Sunday for interested parties and you want to join yes if you join that you can um if you you can uh, come in every other sunday this is obviously not that sunday (laughs) (laughs) because you have to actually make the podcast um and uh who knows where i'll turn up next (laughs) as for this it is time enough podcast it's time enough pod on twitter and facebook although i it's weird i use facebook more but if you were to 
talk to me on Twitter, I'd probably be faster to respond. So hmm. weird. <laughs> uh on patreon we're podcastio podcastius where we do way too many podcasts there's films and filth where we look at the top 100 and the bottom 100 films on imdb and alternate them week by week so uh, and i might turn up there too who can say hmm, i don't know uh, <laughs> but yeah you have to deal with one week the human human centipede two full sequence and then the next week citizen kane that's how we run on on that podcast so a lot of a lot of whiplash for your mind. Are, are you saying this is the the human centipede of podcasts, or are you saying it's the Citizen Kane of podcasts? Oh, that's the Citizen Kane of podcasts. Come on, I gotta be classy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I definitely don't want to have the human centipede of podcasts. That that means you have to be like creepy and disgusting. I think, which uh, hopefully I'm not doing too much of. I don't know. You can listeners, you can tell me. Uh, we also talk about Disney films that are called Disney and look for the mysteries, the magic behind the mouse. I don't know if I said that right. I never do. Uh, there's some video game ones with Luke Loves Pokemon, talking about Pokemon. Uh, the Hyrule Field Report, looking into the world of Zelda and the game game show, which is gamers gaming themselves about games. I rarely show up on those because I'm not a heavy gamer. But if you are, you might dig it. Oh, there's a <laughs> knock at the door. I'm going to go check who's there. See you next week. Maybe. <laughs> Play us out, Matt. Guided by night's vision, a vision of something great, has me crossed the desert to where the unknown waits. Frying pan of Turpan's fire, passage through the iron gate, a funeral procession, eternity won't wait. Insight into the decline, the relics I hold in hand. Monasteries deserted, shadow Kandala's land. This goes beyond what I've heard, and is more than what was said. To be being or not to be being. Realization arises as a lotus, transformed in what is called head. Go on to the deer park, under the shade of mangoes. Tempted my arrival on my knees and elbows. Taste fruit of holy thought, nectars of the Dharmic seas. No more doctrine gets wrought from liberation seeds. This goes beyond what I've heard and is more than what was said. To be being or not to be being, realization arises as a lotus transformed in what is called the head. Through myriad kingdoms to then penetrate the cave, with all the greatest gifts to the needy we gave. Bid farewell and return, turn down all the high positions. A pagoda leans west into all fruition. This goes beyond what I've heard, and is more than what was said. To be being, or not to be being, realization arises as a lotus, transformed in what is called 